Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. 2-2. Fly ball left field. Back goes Maton looking up at the wall and it's out of here! Marquetta gives the Mets the lead with his second home run of the day! Ties it in the seventh, gives the Mets the lead in the ninth. It's nine to eight, New York. Canada can do. He struck him out, and the ball game is over. Edwin Diaz puts on the finishing touches. He gets Hall looking to end the game, and the Mets win an incredible game. Look, what could you say about Fisher? He was pitching in a bank, uh, working in a bank last year. Mm-hmm. Comes in and throws three scoreless innings today. I'm trying to get those guys out, and the bank job might be a little, it's a lot easier. Okay, you know, I don't know. I'm sure there's some real hard parts of working for a bank. Okay. <laughs> when do you have an offense? But, I, but yeah, I, believe me, I know the story, and it's it's pretty cool. I, I, the guys were so pumped about his. His, because uh, they know what it meant for the team. You know, we, regardless of whether you win, lose, or draw, to try to live to fight another day, you got to get that outing out of him and Budo today to to get back on your feet tomorrow physically. A doubleheader. That's why you know you fight to play because you know this, that doubleheader yesterday just put us. You know, our, our guys are everybody in baseball is a little worn down right now, but to, to fight through that and after the rain delay, that's impressive.
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, August the 21st, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, you're in for a real special treat tonight because you're not only going to get part one, but you're going to get part two of the Talking Mets podcast because I have a really special guest and I decided that in order to help you with your listening pleasure that I would break up the show into different parts. I've always thought about doing this and I've gotten mixed reviews on it where you break up the segments but then some people say they like the show as the hour and hour change format because it flows. But for this one, I thought, let me try it a little bit differently and and you guys could give me the feedback. You guys know, as I said in the intro, all the ways you could get in touch with me. But Joining me in just a little bit, had a chance to talk to him earlier today. He's going to be at Old Timers Day at City Field next weekend. Just came out with a great new book uh, that I highly recommend called Coming Home, My Amazing Life with the New York Mets. Former Mets outfielder, member of the 1969 Mets, Cleon Jones will be joining me. And I thought it was perfect to bring in a Mets old-timer a week before Old Timers Day. So can't get him next week. They're going to be at the... The field, got to get them the week week before. Obviously, part one here, and, you know, there is always, like I say, great times to come on the radio. And and when you have a win like the Mets had and a tough week, and it was a tough week for me as well personally, and I'll get to that in a minute because it all ties into this whole thing. But when you have a tough week, a tough series in Atlanta, tough series in Philadelphia because of the team playing shorthanded, and now there's some injuries, and the dog days of August will eat up even the best of teams. Look what's going on across town in the Bronx. Uh, really, a, a team has that gut check, that that time where uh, a game like today, normally, it, it's that one of those grinded-out games where it just it plods along, bad pitching, pitching changes, rain delays, you think the game will never end, and when you can pull one of those games out, it especially is uh, fulfilling, and it starts to make you think that there's that little synergy going on because look at all the things that have gone on this year for the New York Mets. When you see a guy like uh, Nate Fisher, who was working in a bank, as you heard Buck Showalter talk about a year ago at this time, and now he's out there giving them three really important innings I mean, a name that you would not have been talking about just 24 hours earlier. I, when I saw him up, I'm like, who? Because I didn't check the transaction log before the game. And you have the Nick Plummer home run from earlier in the year. And the comeback in Philadelphia earlier in the year. And the Medina save in L.A. And how Trevor Williams has been able to step up and pitch some of the best baseball in his career. When you start to see things like that, you see... Uh, a team that not only perseveres, everybody comes in and tries to be the best version of themselves within the role they're given. And that's how championships are won. And truly, as we we had talked about this a week ago, we wanted to see at about 6 o'clock uh, when I had done the post game. really the, the show last week was a post game. right after the Mets had taken two out of three from the Phillies. I said, look, you have that final week, that final push 
where the Mets can really take care of their own business, make sure they give themselves a little bit of a cushion. Not that the schedule is going to be any easier over the next, you know, seven to ten days. You have the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. You have the Dodgers and the Brewers. You know, Brewers fighting for a wild card spot. The Dodgers are basically the MLB version of the Bulls. I mean, that's really what they are. They're like the 96 Bulls. I mean, that's going to be tough to beat that team. And then you have the Rockies in between, and that's one of those, you know, don't want to stub your toe series. So this is a survive, as you see in the, in the title of the part one of this program, survive in advance, just like the NCAA, survive in advance. The Mets right now are surviving and advancing. They're trying to, uh, you know, work through some injuries they're shuffling guys in and out from uh, you know AAA because of the bullpen being burned to a crisp. You heard Buck talk about how difficult that doubleheader is. Hopefully, this will be the last one. I know there's some rain in the forecast this week, so who knows what's going to happen with the Subway Series. But uh, really, right now, between the dog days and coming at you, the injuries to Carrasco and Walker, uh, you know the bullpen being basically on fumes because of the schedule playing games in tough cities on the road against teams that are chasing you. And you come out of this four and four and look, you didn't lose any ground. You know, you, you beat the Braves five out of nine. I know everybody was disappointed about the game on Thursday. That happens. You lose tough games on the road. The Braves kind of mets the Mets with the with Grissom and how he scored from first on a single reminded me a little bit of Timo Perez in the playoffs in 2000, the way that he ran around the bases learning lesson for Nimmo. They go into Philadelphia, and there was, I, I said going into the weekend, there was no, no way um, that you can, uh, you know, I, I said a split I'd sign for. Seeing the Trevor Williams, Peterson, facing Nolan Wheeler back-to-back weekends, I thought Wheeler was going to, you know, it looked like he was really tough the first couple of innings. Uh, it was going to be really tough to beat him back-to-back starts. Wheeler's much tougher at home, but he struggles against left-handed lineups, and he didn't have his command, so... To come out of this 4-4, four and four, going into the Subway Series, potentially Scherzer and DeGrom in those games, which, which would be really cool. I know there may be some uh, uh, Taiwan Walker siding because of the fact that he was pushed back. So away you go. So really the Mets survived in advance. And, and why that's special to me is because, you know, and I've shared with you, and, and if you want to fast forward through a couple of minutes here when I like to share a personal story, I always think about how... You know, this is a community. I've built this community over many, many years. Uh, I have people follow me on Instagram, which I don't really promote, but I'm on there. Facebook, Twitter, which is the main uh, play. You know, you guys send me emails. Uh, I've even had fans call me on my cell phone. That does happen. Occasionally, someone says, can I chat? I will chat. You know, I'm I'm a pretty accessible guy. I'm, I'm no celebrity. So when I, I, I have a chance to share something personal with you guys, it means a lot. So... I have to be truthful with you. And I remember, like I tell you, you know, when the when I had my car accident, I had missed the comeback against the um, against the Phillies earlier in the year. Well, this week, I unfortunately lost another pet. I lost another dog. You know, my wife and I had four dogs as this baseball season. Well, now my golden retriever, you guys remember, passed away in the winter. But going into this year, we had four dogs, a golden retriever and three chihuahuas, all adopted. And we lost our oldest chihuahua this week. Um, about right around the time when the Mets were playing the Braves in Atlanta, uh, without getting into detail, he had an, a, an unfortunate incident, um, and it was a tough decision. But um, at 15, he passed on. And one thing I would say about this dog, his name was Chico, which made me laugh, was that just like this Mets team, just like how this team has survived in advance and overcome maybe some talent deficits in some ways. 
And anytime there's a challenge, they kind of push forward. Uh, this little dog did the same thing. And I thought it was pretty appropriate that this show and this game, which really symbolized, I think, his life, what again, without getting into detail, wasn't always treated well before we adopted him, uh, had to lose some weight, and we were able to get him to do that. And if you saw the look and the smile on this dog's face when we adopted him and how every time he looked at life in the most positive outcome, in the most positive way, and sometimes as we watch the, the, the Mets and we watch these games and we, we get involved in all this stuff that we do here, it's so easy to get caught up in the negative and what this team doesn't do or what they don't have or you know how they can't win. And believe me, the cards are, are a tough team. Pujols is hitting you know, a billion home runs again. The Braves are not going to be an easy out. Um, and look, the Dodgers, like I said, are every bit this juggernaut. I mean, I know the Mets play them even in L.A., but if you're, you're thinking that they're going to go down easy in a seven-game set, they're not. But what I can tell you from my lesson from this little dog that fought even after he had this injury and he had a couple of days where we, you know, we tried to figure out a way to save him, to the very end... He showed spunk, he showed positive energy, he showed life, had a great smile, a great attitude, and we, my wife and I miss him dearly, and I wanted to dedicate this show to him and this series win, because I really think, personally for me, a lot of what we see going on with the New York Mets is symbolic in the life of this little dog, 15-year-old Chihuahua Chico, so I just wanted to add that as we get into the show and what have you, but look, 79 and 44 you get 21 and 18 to get to 100 wins. You really can't ask for more than this. And I think we're at a point where there's still this like fear and paranoia, I think, from the fan base that this team is like last year. They're going to collapse. The Braves have made up all this ground, the nine games and what have you. Um, this is what a, a division race, a pennant, is all about. I think there's this idea because both in, I think, the last two times the Mets won a division in 2006 and 2015, uh, they basically steamrolled past the competition. And there wasn't much doubt as you got down the stretch that they were going to win the division. There was enough of a margin of error. And here the Braves are playing at such a high level. I mean, they play 900 baseball, 800 baseball. And they've played that kind of baseball for, I'm not talking about week to 10 days. I'm talking they've played it for stretches of 20, 30 games and the Mets have been, I mean, they've had to take care of their own business with Atlanta, and they did. I mean, over the course of, if you add in the two out of three, and then the five and four, you know, the nine day games in August we talked about, you know, the uh, the Mets are, what, seven and five in the 12 games they played against Atlanta, uh, which clearly has kept the Braves back. I mean, if you flip that around, we're pretty much even now in the division and what have you. So winning championships are hard, and it's going to take perseverance, and Throughout this season, there's these little battles that you have to fight that really not only tell you what kind of team that you are, but also help build that character and also allow guys to start to continue to figure out what their role is within the, the greater scheme of this team. And I think what's really, really fulfilling, and I think that part of that is you got to give credit to Buck, as we always have. But even Billy Epler, you know, going out there, and I continue to see the little things he's done. Uh, this Michael Perez can't hit worth a leg, but he goes and at least he had the foresight to say, you know, I might need some catching depth. I don't have it in the minor leagues. And he goes out and gets this guy, and he contributes. I mean, just think about all these little sidebar stories that when this season's all said and done that we can talk about. And if it ends in a championship, 
how how much more fulfilling that is. But look, right now the only question, and and I think it's easy to say this and it's fair to say this, and I don't think I'm going to be jinxing anybody, but will this team be the top wild card team or will this team be a division winner? And right now they took care of business against the Phillies and the Braves. That's in the rearview mirror. They do have three left against Atlanta, and I guess the way Atlanta looks at it is peck away at this thing, try to get it to a game or two going into Atlanta the last day of the season. And I don't think that's a scenario anybody wants a hold of because you're playing for an important playoff position, but you're also burning out your top pitchers potentially. And if you lose, you go into a three-game set against the Cardinals, the Brewers, the Phillies, whoever, at a disadvantage. So it'll be interesting how both these teams, in a way, they're probably both going to want that division to be settled way ahead that final weekend. Uh, well, that final week, I should say, of the season. Not final weekend, final week. I'm trying to see. I don't have the schedule in front of me. Um, I think they play the Braves the final weekend of the season, or maybe they play them. Um, oh, geez, let me see right now. I'm trying to, you know, I made a statement, and then I should I should know better. I should know better to have my facts before I get on the air. But, no, they're playing the Braves. Is the, is the final? No, they're not playing the Braves the final weekend, but not the final three games. They play the Nationals the final three games of the season. And that's got, hard, you know, annoying all over it because, you know, the Nats have been scoring some runs and playing well and what have you. So, um a couple of other quick things before we get to Cleon Jones. Um, I think you did see that the Mets, even though they could win in a lot of different ways, their lack of starting pitching depth is a big concern, and there's not much you can do about this. Now, I feel good, believe it or not, with Trevor Williams and Peterson. I don't think Trevor Williams can give you more than five innings, but I like how he's a strike thrower. I know Peterson didn't have the best outing on Saturday night in Game 2 of the doubleheader, but I still feel he's a guy who can give you six innings, three runs. I'll take that. It's a downgrade from Carrasco. It's a downgrade from Walker. I'll take that. But right now, the biggest threat to me, to the Mets, this thing unraveling and becoming, and you saw the playoff schedule come out this week, it's going to be really hard when you take away that off day in the division series and the championship series, depending if you're doing West Coast travel with the Dodgers. Uh, that's going to make it really tough to align your rotation. You lose that day of rest. You may take away a DeGrom or Scherzer start that you would have been able to sneak in with that extra day of rest. You know, maybe they could help out in the bullpen. You know, we've talked about that. Um, starting pitching depth is going to be important. And the fact that the Mets have two guys in Carrasco and Walker who at times have had periods where they've pitched like top of the rotation guys, not having those guys now and Carrasco is going to be for a while. Walker is a little bit ominous because backs and bulging discs are a problem. I mean, it's interesting how that plays into his free agency because he was headed towards a nice contract before that. That's a little bit of a storm cloud. They don't seem to think it's too much bad news. I think, though, uh, it's something ominous. The Mets right now need their starting pitchers to stay healthy because their bullpen is very much at Magic 8-Ball. It's like a, a Jenga game. I got to tell you, Buck is like, even Billy Epler with the way he's managing the, the, the roster, it's like a Jenga game. Like, okay, we'll put this here, we'll figure out this here. And, and you know you have the best closer in the game right now who, maybe the Phillies have figured something out. It's a couple of bad outings against the Phillies back-to-back. But he made the big pitch when he needed to make, you know, yeah, a couple of fly balls that maybe on a warmer day, I know it was a little, not, you know, that humid, you know, maybe the rain dampened things a little bit, cooled things down. Maybe they go out. Hey, listen, the Mets are owed a couple. They've had so many wacky things happen in Citizens Bank Park over the years. A couple fly balls that were almost missed. It's happened to the Mets. I'm not going to get that. I'm really, by the way, I'm really tired 
and, and Zach Wheeler kind of took a Spencer Strider a moment here, but the Mets getting lucky hits and cheap hits. You know what? Making contact, working the count, going the other way, that's good baseball. Maybe we got away from that. That's good baseball. So stop with the Mets are lucky and things like that. They work pitchers down. They're a tough team. We knew that all along. They're a tough team. But um, the soft underbelly right now, which is the bullpen, which can be exacerbated by a thinner rotation. Uh, you know, Buto to me, had some interesting moments, clearly not ready. Maybe he was nervous, uh, didn't have horrible stuff. He seems to me as a guy that needs location as a big part of his game. Fastball changeup guy really maybe throws a curve in there, and if his location is off, they're going to hit him all over the yard. It's tough to ask a kid to come into Citizens Bank Park, a band box, uh, against the Phillies team that's lost so many games to the Mets that you really think the law of averages and the regression to the mean is going to happen. So that's something to look look out for. They really need their starting pitching to stay healthy. Their big three, knock on wood, seems to be, uh, uh, you know, DeGrom getting into the seventh inning. You get those guys going. Um, the Mets are able to beat anybody and put themselves in a position where in the final six to nine outs, they're right there with everybody. Adovino having a good season. Right now, Adovino and Diaz and everybody else, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what you're going to get about Trevor May. You don't know what you're going to get with Lugo. Joely Rodriguez always stresses me, you know what, out. I mean, i like to see Tommy Hunter come back and see what he can give, but I don't think he's high leverage. Michael Givens has this, you know, herky-jerky motion and, you know, is an interesting uh, name, but I, I don't see him as high leverage. Right now, the two high leverage relievers that you trust are Adovino and Diaz, and that's about it. I know Lugo looked a little bit better yesterday when he came in in the fifth. That's really the guy. See, Mayor Lugo, one of those guys is really going to have to, and I don't think you have enough time now, step up, um, figure out if they could find the, whatever remnants are left of vintage, best best version of themselves they've been, whether it be May, where he was earlier last year with the Mets and in Minnesota, or Lugo, the guy that, if I mean, yeah, you get Lugo of 2019, or somewhere near 2019 with Aravino and Diaz, you're set. And that's the guy I'm waiting to burst out. You know, May, the injury he had, he's always home run prone. The guy I really think has it in him is Lugo. I just don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know why that's not happening. I don't know if it's health or the league's caught up with him or maybe his stuff is diminished. Maybe he was a benefactor of the sticky stuff. Who knows? Here's the other thing before we wrap up and get to Cleon Jones, another thing. Brett Beatty. I know everybody, you know, exciting week, home run uh, in his first game, uh, you know, made a nice play in Atlanta, has had a you know, big hit against, you know, very impressive game against the Phillies on Friday night with a big bases loaded hit that kind of put that game out of reach, put the idea of the Phillies coming back totally out of the question. Um, I would temper my Brett Beatty excitement a little bit, and this is where the media drives me crazy. I, I love John Hopper. He covers the team. He's, you know, been a long time writer in this town, and, and, and scouts. And I have a scout, Chuck Johnson, uh, a guy who's, who's been a scout, a good friend of mine, loved Brett Beatty for years, told me, without a doubt, this guy is going to be a solid big leaguer. And I don't doubt that this kid has talent, but I'm not ready to anoint him as an important part of the 2022 Mets because, A, I don't think he could play third base. I talked to a good friend of mine that uh, works for MLB down in uh, uh, Charlotte, and and, cover, and covers AAA baseball, uh, you know, the old International League, and has seen him and feels he's tall and lanky, not a third baseman, 
Obviously, the, the scouting report to him is that he aims his throws. You saw him make a couple of errors. Uh, you know, the bat is solid. I mean, no doubt he's got some pop. He's got a nice-looking swing. Let him go through the league a couple of times, and let's see. Um, but right now, Brett Beatty, to me, and this is exactly why putting Alvarez behind the plate, who's struggling now in AAA, or any of these top prospects into the situation, which is a team playing for a championship, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you have the old, the old, you know, looking back to history, the Greg Jeffries of the world, and guys like that who came in and made impacts. Those are very, very rare scenarios. I know Mark Vientos is down in AAA hitting the, the tar out of the ball. Uh, with Darren Ruff, I'm not sure they need another DH. Uh, they need – you really are going to miss. The Mets are the kind of team that a lot of the little things add up, turning the double play, good defense up the middle, moving the runner along. When you have a compromised defensive player like a Beatty at third base where he's cost them some double plays, the downgrade from Guillerme in most cases is great. Um, the downgrade from Escobar is significant too. And that's the marginal difference between the Mets winning and losing. So some of those strengths that have made the Mets who they are today, which is the good starting pitching. I mean, the team is like, what, 60? The stat was like 67-6 and or something when they score four more runs. That's insane. Like, there's only one team in the history of baseball that's better at this point than them. When they score four to five runs, we've talked about the blueprint they score five, they're golden. They stay. They score four, they're, based on the record, they're golden. They score five, forget about it. And that's with a bullpen that we think has been leaky and we don't trust. A lot of that has to do with the fact that Diaz just doesn't, even when he bends, he doesn't break. It's not the old Diaz anymore. And I'm actually glad a little bit that he's he's been struggling a little bit against Philadelphia because I feel like you don't want him going into the playoffs without proving that he can handle when he doesn't have his best stuff or on the road in a hostile environment or in a hitter-friendly ballpark. So, um, you know, that's where I see the team at. To me, very personal weekend of Mets baseball with the loss of my dog, and I know that you guys have heard this from me before, and I'm sorry if I bring my personal life into it, but the toughness the Mets showed really resonated with me because I saw so so much toughness this week from this little dog who had such a, a terrible incident happen to him. And lost his life because of it. But until the very end, kept a positive attitude. Even when he was dealt a bad card in his life before we adopted him. And it really goes to, you know, it resonated with me that this team is very much like that. Where they take a lot of bad situations. I mean, this was a game today. Rain delay. Bad starting pitching. Um, a slog of a game. Where you could just say, hey, we split the series. Subway series tomorrow. Let's get out of here. And they didn't. And every night it's somebody new, whether it be Marte or Canna and Vogelback coming here and all of a sudden is like the slugger they needed. You know, Naquin has had his moments and even Darren Ruff. I mean, Darren Ruff pitches two scoreless innings to save the bullpen. Who does that? What position player comes in and gets two scoreless innings? Oh, man, what a wacky. It's been a fun season. It's been a little wacky and... It just goes to show you, this is why I don't make predictions in spring training. Because you can't predict Michael Perez getting big hits for them. You can't predict Nick Plummer hitting a big home run for them. You can't predict, I mean, Nate Fisher, guy playing, you know, working for a bank. And I think Buck was careful not to insult anybody who's, uh, 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 you know, in financial institutions. Like, well, it's a little hard to get the Phillies out than working a bank. Well, 
I guess it depends on what job you have and what day of the week it is, right? But, I mean, this guy goes out and he saves the bullpen. I mean, you would never have Nate Fisher on your Mets bingo card of a guy that they would need to help them win a ball game in August. An important game, not a game that they had to win, but a game that it was really nice to win to help extend their lead in the division. On, you just wouldn't. I mean, 24 hours ago, I, did anybody know who this guy was 24 hours ago? I'm sure there's some, even me, who's a big, who does this show, and I do keep up on the Mets farm system, even the prospect junkies. Did you guys have this guy on your bingo card? I don't think so. Survive in advance. The Mets did it. And now we get into the Subway Series. Now we get into the fun times. Yankees are struggling. I'm glad they won today. They're facing potentially DeGrom and Scherzer. Uh, I I know the weather's going to suck. Hopefully they don't have to play a doubleheader. But uh, I think the stadium will be electric. Um, I know City Field was. This is a good time for the Mets to get into that postseason type environment. A lot of practice between the Atlanta Series I know Philadelphia sounded a little like City Field. A lot of Mets fans made the trek. I'm sure Yankee Stadium. I'll tell you what. You know the Mets have arrived. And I, hey, listen to this. This is, this is I'll wrap up here because I know you want to hear a clip from Cleon Jones. If you see the flip, like it used to be sometimes where at Shea Stadium, there was probably, a t- it was probably 60-40 Mets fans, but sometimes it didn't feel that way. A lot of Yankees fans at Shea Stadium. Then when the Mets would go to Yankee Stadium, there wouldn't be as many Mets fans at Yankee Stadium as there were Yankee fans at Shea Stadium. And sometimes you felt Yankee fans would take over the Shea Stadium as well. They were loud. If that's what you see happen this week at Yankee Stadium, because Yankee fans are not feeling their team right now. They go from an historic pace to the other end of the spectrum. You know the Mets have arrived, and they're starting to really get some momentum in this town. I think a lot of people, the media's fallen in love with this team. They like the stories. It's got the feel of all those special teams that we've seen come through, whether it be old Yankees teams from the 90s, Mets teams throughout the years, whatever. There's, I mean, when you get a guy who was in financial services a year before, going nowhere, <laughs> help them win a ball game. That's the kind of se- That's a special season. That's a- when we when we look back. These are the moments that we cherish and we talk about in the winter when it's cold outside and we just want to talk some baseball and enjoy talking baseball. It's these kind of moments that we re- reminisce on, and and why it's so much fun to talk baseball and do these kind of shows. These are the kind of stories that I I, I know they're they're in other sports, but it's different in baseball. It's just different. I know they have NBA stories of guys on down and out. John Starks bagging groceries, and I know the NFL, you got guys that, you know, walk on, but nothing is quite like these stories in baseball because there's just so many players on a roster and throughout an organization, you got so many opportunities to have a good story. If Nate Fisher never pitches again, listen, he has a story for his grandkids at some point that he helped win an important ball game in August that the Mets really needed. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to get to part two, so I'm going to break it up. Part two, you're going to have to download a separate episode. Cleon Jones, former uh, Mets outfielder, author of a new book with Gary Kaschak, Coming Home, My Amazing Life with the New York Mets. We're going to talk about the 69 Mets. We're going to talk about Cleon coming up through the Mets organization, got brought up at a really young age. And he's also going to talk about a little bit about what went wrong. He was very honest in the book about what went wrong with his career. Off the field issues, not getting along with Yogi Berra, things like that. And then finally, we'll get into his work now in Africatown in Alabama, 
helping restore the town, uh, embrace its history. Some of it not all good, but embrace its history and um, and really the good work that he's doing in his retirement. 80 years young and going to be at Old Timers Day next week. Um, I remember I was at an Old Timers Day one time in 1989. Uh, I actually went to one May of 89. Mets were playing the Giants. They had an Old Timers Day where the 69 Mets was the 20th anniversary. Just, I mean, the Mets are 60 years old now, and uh, it's over 50 years ago that they had the 69 Mets. So it's amazing how time flies. There's guys like Bartolo Colon and Yohannes Cespedes. I felt like we were talking about on this show like yesterday, and they're at Old Timers Day. Daniel Murphy. It's amazing. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Cleon Jones, former Mets outfielder, talking about his book, Coming Home, My Amazing Life with the New York Mets, right after this. <laughs> 